Our reading today is taken from Psalms 46, starting at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, through the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Through its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, Let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Amen. We spend time this morning reflecting. Looking back, remembering the past, and it's entirely right that we should do so, I'm grateful to Jack for leading the first part of our service. There are vital lessons to be learned from the past, and we must never forget them. And the theme of remembrance will be continued in this coming Wednesday's prayer meeting. But I want to think about our text this morning from Romans 12, 2. It talks about the renewing of our minds. And I want to think about the future what the church's role is in the future and the present, where we find ourselves now. And to ask a question, do we as a church belong in the past or we as a church, do we belong to the future? And I want to start by showing a clip of John Bell reflecting on this question. 
When I was 20, I drove an Oldsmobile. It was a silver four-door Delta 88. And it had a long bench seat across the front. And in a feat of engineering genius, the rear license plate was on a hinge, and you had to pull it back in order to fill up the gas tank. We called it the sled. It was a magnificent automobile, and it served me well for those years. But they don't make Oldsmobiles anymore. I mean, they used to be popular, but the factories have shut down. And eventually, the only ones left will be collector's items, relics of an era that has passed. Oldsmobile couldn't keep up with the times. And so it's become more and more something of the past, not the future. For them, not us. For then, not now. I tell you about the sled, because for a growing number of people in our modern world, God is a bit like Oldsmobiles. Things have changed. We have more information and technology than ever. We're interacting with a broader, more diverse range of people than ever. And the tribal God, the only one many people have ever heard of, appears more and more small and narrow and irrelevant, and in some cases just plain mean, and other times not that intelligent. Like my friend Kathy, who was at this event recently where she heard an influential Christian leader say he doesn't think women should be allowed to teach and lead in faith communities. Kathy, who has two master's degrees, sat there stunned. Or my friend Gary, who he and his family visited a church on a recent Easter Sunday only to hear a resurrection sermon about how all gay people are going to hell. And then my friend Michael just told me recently about hearing the leader of a large Christian organization say that if you don't believe that God made the world in a literal six days, then you have to get rid of the rest of the Bible as well because, you know, it doesn't matter what science says. This is a problem. And as a pastor over the last 20 years, what I've seen again and again is people with a growing sense that their spirituality is in some vital and yet mysterious way central to who they are as a person. And yet the dominant perceptions and conceptions and understandings of God they've encountered along the way aren't just failing them, but in many cases are causing harm. Is God going to be left behind like Oldsmobiles? I don't think so. Because I believe there are other ways, better ways of talking about God and understanding God. Because I believe God is with us and for us. And I believe God is actually ahead of us, calling us and drawing us and inviting and pulling us all, every one of us, into a better future than we could ever imagine. Thank you. So does God have a place in the brave new world of 21st century Britain? Or does he belong in the past with manual typewriters, steam trains, cathode ray tube TV sets? In the church, are we just clinging on desperately to a set of beliefs that society by and large has dismissed as irrelevant? Because irrelevance is arguably the biggest challenge facing the church today. It's not that people think we're wrong, most of the time they don't think about us at all. I was surprised to find in town yesterday that the Christmas lights are not only up but on. Come November, thoughts are turning towards Christmas already and all the Christmas adverts are going to be coming out in the next few days. A recent survey commissioned by Premier Radio found that 67% of people don't believe that the birth of Jesus is the main reason for celebrating Christmas. 
52% feel that the religious aspects of Christmas are unimportant. Attitudes vary widely. Grace Dent, writing for The Independent, loves the little advertisement for Christmas that's being launched because its joy comes from the skewing of a dozen silly, slightly rubbish things that make up a brilliant British Christmas. Brussels sprouts, shabby Santas with flammable beards, and rarely a word about religion. Little's Christmas, much like its prices, might be slightly low rent, but it's one I can truly believe in, she says. At the opposite end of the market comes Burberry's Christmas advertisement, with an entirely different approach which explicitly adopts the nativity theme. Let's have a look at that now. I know we weren't going to do presents, but here. Oh my God, Joe. beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. Evening. I heard you had a new bag. Well, yes, I literally just opened it. Lordy, lordy. Do you mind if I... Open, so I thought I'd... May I? There it is. I wouldn't normally go for red, but that really works, doesn't it? Someone's a very lucky girl. Yes, I know. Sorry, traffic was a nightmare. We come bearing gifts. (laughs) Thank you. Love you. Oh. Well, this is truly marvelous. <laughs> it smells amazing. <laughs> it's a thing of wonder. Quite stupendous. Guys, it's just a bag. This is where we're at in 21st century Britain. It's the culture in which we live. Culture in which Jesus is fair game, if you like, for Burberry. 40% of people don't think Jesus was a real person who actually lived. 22% regard him as a mythical or fictional character. We live in a culture in which church, our beliefs, and our saviour are consigned to the margins of consciousness barely even registering as something important or significant at the traditional Christian celebrations of Easter and Christmas, which means a celebration of Christ, for goodness sake. When people talk about Britain being a post-Christian society, they're right. People have moved on. And Rob Bell makes the point, taught often in the church, we don't help ourselves much. We find it all too easy to major on the minor issues. He singles out the preoccupation the church has with women leadership, 
Issues about homosexuality, whether gays will go to hell, six-day creationism, pitting the Bible against science. There are debates to be had about these things. We will disagree about these things within this congregation. But in many people's eyes, that is what the church stands for. They shake their heads in disbelief and move on. Because compared to the reality of who Jesus is as our Lord and Saviour, all of these things are peripheral. I was most surprised to find an unlikely ally in John Cleese last year, who addressed a group of biblical scholars who'd come together to ponder the significance of life of Brian, of all things, and said apparently not too much with his tongue in his cheek. You guys have the most important job in the world. And as we step back and wondered what on earth he meant, he said... Because if there really is life after death, then nothing else matters compares with that, does it? So if you can communicate that to people, that is the most important job in the world. And because eternal life is a reality, Rob Bell is absolutely, absolutely right to talk about God being ahead of us, calling us, drawing us, inviting us, pulling us all into a better future than we can ever imagine. God does not belong in the museum of the past. The God we believe in is the God of the future. Paul says elsewhere, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has been able to conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. The reality of God and what he's prepared for us defy comprehension. The outsider who doesn't know God, makes little attempt to understand God, may find God easy to dismiss. But the more you get to know God. The more you discover about God, who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more that means. And the more you get to know God and the more you know about God, the more you realise that you're just scratching the surface, the more there is to know, which defies comprehension. If we think, ah, we've got God sewn up, I understand God completely, then we are dealing with a God of our own creation and imagination rather than the creator of the universe. The God who entered this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection saves those who put their trust in him. God the Holy Spirit, who makes our hearts his temple and his dwelling place. If you get to know this God, then the effect of knowing him will be a humility of mind and a reverence of heart, because that knowledge of God humbles and changes us. But in order to get to know this God, our minds need to be changed. Because we live in a society, and we're affected by that, a society which increasingly doesn't acknowledge God, and as such, a society whose collective mind is increasingly unable to perceive or recognise God. It's not that God disappears if a critical number of people stop believing in him. His existence isn't generated by our faith, but our minds can become closed to his reality. So that where he's present, we don't feel him. Where he's real, we don't perceive him. And by default, we end up worshipping material things rather than the one who created us and everything in this amazing world in which we live. And the more we ignore the truth and reality of who God is, the more perverse our minds become. We close our minds, we harden our hearts because fundamentally we don't want to believe in God because it's easier not to. I always find it fascinating at funerals to see how many people who don't profess any belief in God nevertheless want to believe that the person they've lost has gone to a better place. They want to believe at a time like that. But the rest of the time, 
God is off the agenda. They have a mindset which discounts God. And a mindset has been defined as a fixed mental attitude or disposition that predetermines a person's responses to and interpretations of situations. A mindset that says God doesn't register. But the thing about a mindset is it's often unconscious, just the way your mind works. And if your mind works that way, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily in a position to analyse that this is why I believe what I believe. If your mind is closed and the door is locked, you can't step outside of your mind to look and think, actually, is that the right way of thinking? Closed minds don't have the necessary, necessary capacity for self-awareness to understand what's going on. So we don't realise that the reason we don't believe in God may not be because God doesn't exist, but just because our minds are closed. And it's precisely because closed minds can't perceive God that Paul says minds need to be renewed so that we can perceive God and recognise him and begin to understand him. And that applies to us as well as Christians because we need to be aware of conforming to a prevailing culture of unbelief. And if the world is not going to squeeze us into its mould, as J.B. Phillips so memorably put it, we ourselves need to be transformed and changed from the inside out. If our God is too small, our own faith will be eroded by the culture of unbelief that surrounds us. And that starts in subtle ways. We might be challenged by the direct attacks on our faith by militant atheists. Or we can start to believe that really as Christians, who we are and what we believe is really just insignificant and irrelevant. And we begin to see ourselves as everybody else sees us, people who don't matter, and what we believe doesn't count. And that leads to a real crisis in our faith. It's not that our faith is overwhelmed by doubt, it's rather that we find ourselves wondering, is it worth believing this stuff anymore? So we waver a bit in our commitment, and that can be fatal. Because if the living God who made us and who holds our life, this world and our future in his hands, if he isn't the be-all and end-all, then something's seriously wrong. If you're going to believe in God, it can't be anything less than a, a whole heart, soul, mind and strength thing. When it comes to commitment, God is very much an all-or-nothing sort of deity. So one of the ways in which the world affects us, squeezes us into its mould, by which we conform to the society in which we live, is we begin to believe that our faith doesn't matter, or that it's relatively unimportant, or there are other things that are way more important and significant than God. It's insidious, you may hardly even realise it's beginning to happen. We can be like the proverbial frog in a pan of water, which allows itself to get boiled to death, because it doesn't realise that the water in the pan is very slowly getting warmer and warmer and hotter and hotter. It's not a crisis that stops us believing. Just we begin to wonder why we bother believing. And then there are so many other more important things, and we just drift gradually away. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Don't be conformed to this present age, says Paul. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And where we do see that there is a mismatch between our faith and the culture in which we live, the temptation is to retreat to a zone where we feel safe and we pull up the drawbridge. We cherish the beliefs that matter to us and we tell ourselves we're still keeping the true faith. And we're happy to be left behind and let the world move on without us because we don't like where the world is going. And our security lies in in what we've known and believed to be true all our lives. And that actually is just another way of closing our minds. We do what the church has so often done in the past, and that is to retreat into dogmatism when it's confronted with a new angle on something. Did it in the days of Galileo, done it ever since. That's just another way of allowing the world to pressurise us and making us conform to the world by closing our minds. If we live in a society which is closing its mind to God and we respond by closing our own minds as well, we are simply imitating society's negative response so that church and society end up withdrawing further and further away from each other and church becomes less and less relevant. But we're not called to withdraw from the culture in which we live. We are called to engage with it to live with eyes open to it, to recognise where people are at. Nothing is to be gained by closing our eyes and ears and minds. That's why I thought it would be good to see the Burberry advertisement, and I apologise if it upset anybody here. But if God is renewing our minds and changing us from the inside out, as indeed he is by his Holy Spirit within us, then we need to be aware of the danger of being pressurised to conform to society and allow God to say to, so to change our minds that instead we are the ones acting as salt and light to make a difference to the culture in which we live. If God is renewing our minds and changing us from inside, as indeed he is by his Holy Spirit within us, then there will be a depth to our faith. We will recognise that the faith that we have is not something that just belongs in the past. We will accept and believe with all our hearts and all our minds that our faith looks forward to a future that God has in store for us and for the world. And that future sets our agenda for how we live and how we engage with our culture in the present. It's simply not true that once people come of age intellectually, they can leave religion behind and that's the right place to leave it. Actually, we are the open-minded ones because we are open to the extra dimension of reality which is God. We see the bigger picture. And as he renews our minds, we are changed into his likeness and we have the capacity to act as salt and light to change and shape and mould the culture in which we live as well. But for this to happen, our faith needs to go deep down into our minds and our hearts and our souls, deep down into the core of our being. Because a superficial faith will not recognise or embrace the greatness of God. A superficial faith will put people off by a shallow unrealism. A superficial faith means that the pressure to conform to the surrounding culture will be greater than the power of God changing us from the inside out, and so it may well be short-lived. We need to be asking God all the time to deepen our faith, enlarge our hearts with his love, expand our minds through the truth of his word so that we are changed to become people who walk with confidence into the future, not people who are looking backwards over our shoulders at the past. 
When that happens, when our minds are renewed and we are changed, Paul says that we will be able to discern what God's will is. Whereas a closed mind lacks that vital capacity for discernment, God can change our mindset so that we recognize and embrace his will and discover for ourselves that his will is to be welcomed because it is good and pleasing and perfect. There is nothing half-baked about the will of God. And what is God's will for you as an individual? What is God's will for us as a community of God's people? Well, as God renews our minds, and as he changes us, we can find that out together. But one thing I am sure of, it won't be a matter of just carrying on doing things the way we've always done them in the past. Let God renew your mind. Let him change you. So that together we can discover what his good, pleasing and perfect will holds for each and every one of us and all of us together in the future. Let's pray. God, you are the same yesterday, today and forever. We live in a changing world where the future is far from clear and it is more than a little bit scary. Lord, root your faith deep in our hearts and minds. But as we trust in you, we would find our security and our hope. Give us the courage to be open-minded, to think things through, to recognise that you never change, but Lord, our, our understanding of you is so limited. Give us humility. Give us wisdom. Come deep into our hearts and minds in a way that we cannot lose. When we're tempted to retreat into the past, Lord, give us courage to face the future and to find your presence with us clearly in the present. Renew my mind by your Holy Spirit that I might know you, the living God, and that you would determine what I believe, how I live, what I do, and what my future is. We place ourselves in your hands, Lord Jesus Christ. You gave your life for us. Help us to live our lives for you.